Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about the process of creating and listing for sale an NFT. Stick around. That story's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you. Ross, great to see you as well. So we're kicking off this week with a follow-up to our show last week. And we did a mailbag episode, and we had gotten a follow-up question. And I think that this is a great question. So we're going to go into it just a little bit. And then we're going to dive into our main topic today, which hopefully will be a lot of fun for people to hear about. But the first thing is that Nick writes in, says he's a big fan, appreciate it, Nick. And he wanted to know about how the custodial brokerage account for a dependent child affects financial aid or FAFSA. Wouldn't they have to report those assets on the application at age 18 since it's going to become an asset of the student or the child, right? Uh, and so we were talking about that last week because, we, Dan, you had mentioned you kind of split your contributions for your daughter to be about 50-50 between the 529 plan, which is purposed just for education, and a custodial account, which will really be kind of non-purpose or for anything assets. Uh, and so this brought up the financial aid question. Um, so I think there's a few things here that we can get into, but the short answer, Nick, is that yes, you're, you're correct. Um the way that different assets get treated on the FAFSA form does change kind of what your eligibility might be. But Dan, let's dig into it because there's a few different decision points here. Yeah. So for those interested, you can download the form that tells you how different assets are counted for what's called the expected family contribution, how much the organization believes that a family should be able to bring to the table to pay for college, which also determines how much in aid you may qualify for. So for a child-owned asset, as a brokerage account in the miner's name would be, they expect you to have 20% of that asset available to pay for college. So for every dollar in the student's name, 20 cents of that would be expected to pay for schooling. Now, that changes when it's a parent-owned asset. So, for example, a dollar in the parent's name or a dollar in a 529 account for the beneficiary of the student, it would be only 5.64% available for college or 5.64 cents in the the example that we're giving. So, it is a lot more of a detractor from aid eligibility to put money in the student's name versus the parent's name. The other interesting thing here, if you get really granular with this is that a lot of times we'll see grandparents set up their own 529 accounts for the kids versus making a gift into a parent-owned 529. And a grandparent-owned 529, when they take that distribution, basically gets treated as untaxed income for the student, which is 50% eligibility. So a grandparent-owned 529 is actually a much bigger detractor. Um, That is as much of a hit as the student having income. Uh, that is also at 50% in terms of its eligibility. So one of the things that you can do here is you can sequence your 
distributions differently. Uh, if you wait until, for example, year four to be taking those grandparent distributions, year four of college, where you're not going to have to be applying for FAFSA the next year, that's actually a better time to use it. And so you can start to kind of prioritize when you use these things that you'd use the parent 529s first, because those aren't going to be as punitive, and then the distributions from grandparents late. Now, again, this gets really, really hairy if you go kind of into the rabbit hole with it. And so there's probably a limit to the practical nature of you know, how far you're going to go with this type of stuff. But if you do think that you're going to be in the category that's eligible for financial aid, you know, where you decide to store assets, I do think matters. The other thing is whether you should be planning for financial aid. And I think for most people, they want to take control of their own destiny. And if you're starting early enough, hopefully you're able to do so. You know, saving to to be in line with your ultimate goal is what I would recommend, as opposed to banking on financial aid, potentially waiting 10, 15 years and finding that it's not an option for you. You know, just think about what your goal is and make sure you're planning for that rather than starting with the financial aid expectation and going backwards. And Dan, I I think for you and me, and we talk about this a lot, I think we tend to prioritize flexibility. And and I think that that's a little bit of why you said personally that you're doing both custodial assets as well as 529 assets, right? If you were trying to maximize financial aid, you would prioritize the 529 assets. It's the tax-free growth. You're getting less of a hit on the FAFSA form, but the custodial account is going to give you all sorts of flexibility in case your daughter wants to use those funds for anything other than education or doesn't have those same aspirations and want to use it wants to use it for starting a business or a down payment on a home or whatever else she might want to do. And I do think that you and I try to balance that flexibility versus that tax efficiency. Same thing for the parent assets. Retirement accounts, for example, are not considered, I believe, at that 5.64% level because they may not be eligible for, to take those distributions where a taxable brokerage account is going to be considered eligible. Well, that doesn't mean that the taxable brokerage account shouldn't be considered just because it's going to potentially have a little bit of an impact, right? Again, it gives you flexibility, whether you're thinking about a gap year and taking a year off from work, whether you need funds to do an improvement on a home or a down payment on another home. I mean, there's, there's just so many things that you can do if you're liquid, And if everything's in retirement accounts or 529 accounts, it's going to limit that liquidity and that optionality that you have with your funds. So um, I think you and I just tend to put a preference on that because uh, we think of life as unpredictable and we want to have options. Yep, that's absolutely right. And as the, the trend that is going now, Romy will either start a business when she gets the money at 18 or plan an extravagant trip to Disney World. Uh, Hopefully she chooses the right one. All right. Now, It's been kind of a bumpy start to the market for the year. Uh, We've seen growth stocks continue to get just hammered in in some ways. And while you and I both had the instinct that maybe we should talk about that on our show, I think we're going to push against that. And we're going to talk about something that's a little bit more fun. And the reason is simply that it's not that we don't think people should be paying attention, but sometimes when the market is turbulent, the best thing that you can do is think about other stuff and not focus on the news and the data and get super granular with what's going to happen and what's everybody's outlook. So uh, I think we're going to intentionally ignore that while saying, you know, for anybody out there that is uh, nervous or having trouble, um, deep breaths, we hope you're doing well. 
and we're going to talk about something a lot more fun, Dan. Where are we going? We are going right to monkey butt. So for those of you who missed the Bill Man episode of Check Your Balances, it was a great chat. Feel welcome to go back in the history and pull it up. But in our raving and ranting, Bill Mann unknowingly created the future of uh, the NFT world, and that is monkey butt. So we were joking about basically silly NFTs. And again, that stands for non-fungible token. There's a lot of these out in the world, and these are digital assets that are kind of hard-coded with ownership rights. And those ownership rights can take all sorts of different forms, but in most cases, these are being transacted in cryptocurrency. And so this is kind of in this Web 3.0 you know, versus whatever you want to call it, this next generation of digital assets and how we make conduct business in the future. And Dan, you and I are both experiential learners. And so really, out of that joking with Bill Mann, we decided, what if we create one of these things? Like, how hard could it be? What does the process actually look like? Uh, and so we decided to do that. And specifically, you did a lot of it, starting with a hilarious doodle of a monkey, I believe, just kind of pointing at his butt that was on <laughs> a napkin. Yes. And you you texted me a photo of that, and it cracked me up. So, yeah, so we drew the monkey butt, or, or really the, the whole monkey pointing at his butt, in fairness. Um, so that was step one, to create the the vision. What would this look like? What would this token look like? look like so you drafted the monkey butt token i drafted the monkey butt token now i don't have digital art skills that is that is not in my wheelhouse so i then sent it to the first person i thought of who does which is my brother i said if i send you a simple doodle can you just replicate it digitally he had no clue where i was going with that but unfortunately for him said yes and moved it into a digital graphic so now you're the proud owner of the original content of the monkey butt graphic. What all did you have to do to list it as an NFT uh, and, and to, to ultimately create this thing that was going to be available? So all of this was new to me. Neither of us are big crypto blockchain people. We, we talk about it. We understand it. But we haven't necessarily done a lot of you know, actual exploration in there. Uh, so the first thing I, I did after reading a tutorial was opening a crypto wallet. So that was a, a first for me. Did you have to fund it with anything or is it just a wallet essentially that can hold cryptocurrencies that, that is ready to go? So did you actually have to convert any money into crypto to do this? So this is what's funny. The tutorial I watched said, yes, like you need to fund this wallet with some money and, con- and, and basically convert it to Ethereum. So said, so take a hundred bucks, put it in Ethereum in the wallet. I did that. I did that. Uh, the the thinking being that as you're going to set up this NFT, there are going to be some expenses for doing so. You know, there's a website that hosts it. I imagine there would be costs along the way. Um, I have not seen those costs anywhere yet. So the money that I have is still in the same amount of Ethereum I purchased. Uh, the value of said Ethereum not the same. It's gone down, right? It has gone down, yes. Okay. So you create a wallet, you put a few bucks in there, hoping that this is going to be what launches us into superstardom and fame and fortune. Yeah, this is this is going to branch us off into our next phase of life. 
Now, I want to be really careful with this because one of the things that we wanted to do was go full cycle on this NFT experience before we even talked about it on this show. Uh, The compliance mind in me said, don't talk about this as we're doing it. Because what I want to be really clear of, we are not soliciting anybody to buy this thing. This is not an investment. This is not going to have value in the future. This is a 100% waste of money, and it was purely experimental on our part. Can can I give a little bit of a spoiler alert, or is it too sure. soon for that? Spoiler alert, you don't need to say that because everyone else believes it is a total waste of money and that no one wants it because it is still sitting in my wallet or on the hosting site. Nobody has bid on the monkey butt as of yet, is what you're telling me. Nobody. I'm still the proud owner of the original monkey butt. Well, that that's also sort of why I wanted to give the disclaimer, because I didn't want this to be seen as us trying to promote this. And I think that that is the main thing that I learned, is that it is pretty easy to launch one of these things, but the power is still in getting people to want it. It's really a marketing exercise. And so when you see that some of these have sold for just incredible amounts of money, millions of dollars. What I really think that's a testament to is the power of the brand and the power of the marketing engine in some of these spaces that is generating that enthusiasm. Because it is not enough for anybody out there that thought you could just create some doodle and launch it and sell it. Like Maybe that works, but I think you have to build an audience first. And That's the part that a lot of people would have trouble doing is if you can market anything that well, you you could probably do pretty well in business, right? It's if you can market crypto and and NFT assets, you can probably market something else. Yeah, absolutely true. Now, um, so I I created the wallet. I used Rainbow Wallet for any of those interested. It's my only wallet experience. It was actually fairly easy. The next thing I had to do is find a place to host this NFT. Uh, everything I read said this site called Rarible was the spot to do it. It was fairly easy to get it set up over there and just upload the image, which makes me wonder. I could have uploaded any image in the world and said it was mine and, and listed it for sale. And I believe a lot of that does happen. Like I could just take an image from the internet that I don't own, put it up there and represent it as my own. So in that case, would we be talking about a counterfeit NFT? Right, where, where, because in theory, the NFT, once you buy it or you transact in it, the blockchain is going to be verifying those transactions. That those transactions of this digital asset should be uncorruptible from this point forward because of the way that you would be doing this business. But there was no real limitation on what you could upload as far as we understand it. Now, do you think that they've got some other digital search you know, sort of thing that is going out into the internet to see if you are the actual owner of this? Or did you have to attest at some point that you are the owner of this when you're uploading it? I don't recall attesting to anything. I may have. Doesn't mean I didn't. I just don't remember it. A quick Google search shows that counterfeit NFTs are a thing. Now, I imagine if you go deep enough in the blockchain and you're copying an existing NFT, you can see where the originator was. Um, but if something didn't exist on the blockchain, you know, for all you know, you might be buying an original uh, that's not an original. You need the provenance, just like when you're going to a pawn shop or a antique store. You want the provenance of the item. Yeah, I mean, it, it just 
And and in theory, because all of these transactions are public record, which again, that's what the blockchain is doing, is that it is creating this public paper trail that can be verified and viewed. If somebody had been the first to sell a similar property or an identical property on the blockchain, I believe you can go seek that out. And so it should make claims in the future against that type of fraud fairly easy is what I, I would suspect. But uh, I also don't know how that's happening or, or you know what the litigation side of it looks like at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure either. That'd be very interesting to follow up on because I'm certain it's happening all over the place. There's a lot of money uh, being invested in NFTs. And if you paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for a counterfeit, people are going to be angry on both sides, the, the originator of the artwork and the purchaser of the fake. And if there's one thing that we know when lots of money is being made or exchanging hands, particularly at high velocity and, and with you know a lot of enthusiasm, that's going to bring counterfeiters and, and uh, all of the types of seedy individuals that would be participating in that type of, uh, of work. Yeah. And as I mentioned, I'm not the most savvy when it comes to working on blockchain or in the crypto world. And it probably took me 15 minutes from start to finish to do all of this. So there are not a lot of barriers to getting it done if you were determined. Now, I want to go back to setting up the wallet because I think back in 2016 or 2017, I set up a crypto wallet personally, and I never ended up putting any money into it. And one of the features that terrified me was the password was so odd that it basically generated at one point this long phrase it was probably 10 words and it was this very specific set of words and it said yeah if you ever get locked out this is your key literally don't like screenshot it or save this or print it like write it down and if you lose these words your money could be lost forever yeah that gave me pause. That was literally like the last step I took because I wrote that thing down and then never put any money into it because I, I lose things all the time. I probably have to reset 25 passwords a week on all of my systems because I'm just constantly forgetting them. The, did you have that experience where you've got some special code that is the only way to get into your wallet? I do. And, and I was prepared for it. I knew that's a thing. So when I saw it, it didn't, it didn't blindside me. I, I knew that was coming. Um, I have it in many places, not that I ever expect I'll need it for anything exciting, but if you listen, I know that's been reported on, on different podcasts like planet money, which is something I listen to a lot. Uh, there are people, especially with Bitcoin who had it early, early on, who had, you know, a couple Bitcoins laying around because it was used for gaming or whatever they did. And now all of a sudden Bitcoin became worth a ton of money. And they need to go hunting either for their for their passwords, those those tokens that they had, which may be living on hard drives that they got rid of or is in an attic and and their bounties for helping find them. I think one guy went to the dump to look for a hard drive after he cleaned out his house. Uh, if It's crazy. If, if you have a lot of money in there and you need to go finding it, it's not fun. One of my favorite comedies of the last decade was the show Silicon Valley. And they're no longer making new episodes of it. But they did do that bit in Silicon Valley uh, where the Russ Hanneman character loses his Bitcoin thumb drive. And you see him out there with like 10 different folks kind of looking through a landfill uh, looking for a thumb drive. And at one point they find an actual thumb, uh, but not <laughs> a thumb drive. And it's just a hilarious scene. And uh, that show in many ways has been 
art imitating life, I think, because uh, a lot of these stories do exist. Seriously. Yeah, it's fun until it's you with hundreds of thousands of dollars on a thumb drive somewhere. Yeah, hundreds of, of thousands of dollars or more, right? right. I mean, if, we're, if we start talking about seven, eight, you know, figure transactions, that kind of loss of a digital asset would just be incredible. And I mean, the other thing that's fascinating about it is in theory, that reduces circulation of that cryptocurrency potentially forever. Because on yeah. some of these, in Bitcoin in particular, there is a limited number that are going to be created in its lifetime. And to have one lost literally means that dollar or that Bitcoin will not exist anymore. So so what are your takeaways, Dan? Uh, we, we basically went through the process. We figured out how to launch an NFT. Quite frankly, I think it's very funny looking. I don't need to be the original owner of that content because, again, I don't think it's worth anything. Uh, did you have any other big takeaways from the process? I was just surprised how easy it was. That, that was my first takeaway. Uh, my second takeaway is just how powerful a tool the blockchain can be. You know, going in, you can set like commission rates, basically. So if I if I put my NFT on the blockchain, which I did, and someone buys it from me, I would get the revenue associated with that transaction. But if they resell it, I still get revenue. I get a twenty percent rate on a resale, which you, you can set your own rate. I just put it at twenty just to see what it does. Was there a recommended? Like, did it give you? defaults that recommended well most people do five percent as a royalty rate or something like that it did have some guidance and i think it went up to 30 percent as a royalty rate that's the word i was looking for um i just picked one because i didn't really think anything was going to happen with this monkey but but it it is worth a chuckle so it may may not be worth money but it's definitely worth a chuckle we're going to put the link in the show notes uh but again this is not a solicitation to buy i'm going to put that in the plainest language that i possibly can we're we're doing this just for science and yeah, and we don't we, spend money on this please yeah it this this is dumb this is not a good use of your dollars uh this is not personal financial advice for anybody but we do not recommend purchasing this thing but yeah for for future i can see business being transacted in this way and it being valuable it's it incentivizes creators and i think you know in this world there should be a lot of incentive for people creating things and, and just living in that ecosystem was pretty easy just browsing the the website the rareable website opening the crypto wallet for someone who i'm self proclaimed not very tech savvy and it was all very simple to execute very cool. Well, Dan, I'm so glad that you decided to do some doodling. It brought a lot of joy as we went through the process, at least for me. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as well. If you've got questions about this process or anything else that you'd like to hear us weigh in on, check your balances at outlook.com is the email address for the show. We've got a few check your balances mugs that are shipping out hopefully this week to the folks that have sent us some questions. And we hope everybody enjoys them and has a great week. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.